Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for April, May and June 2013, titled Seek the Lord and Live, Major Lessons from Minor Prophets. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 10 for June 1 to 7, First Things First, the Book of Haggai. Sabbath afternoon, June 1. Our memory text this week is, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Haggai 2 verse 8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Haggai 2 verse 8. And the key thought for this week is, Haggai's message is simple. What are your priorities? And why is it so important to get them right? Haggai's book, one of the shortest in the Bible, was written at a critical time in the life of Judah. The exiles had returned from their captivity in Babylon almost twenty years before, yet they seemed to have forgotten the reason for their return. They let God's temple sit in ruins while they devoted their energy to building their own houses. Thus, the prophet urged the returned exiles to give careful thought to their situation. His message was simple and logical. The people had worked hard, but did not earn much. This happened because they had mistaken their priorities. They needed to put God first in all that they did. As Jesus himself said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first his, that's God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Today, too, it is so easy to get caught up in the struggle for existence that we forget what our first priority needs to be, which, of course, is always doing the Lord's will. Sunday, June 2, Planting Much, Harvesting Little Question. Read Haggai, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. What was happening here, and more important, why was this happening? Even more important, how might this same principle apply to us today? How might we be guilty of doing the same thing? In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet of, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses, and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes." Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little, and when you brought it home, it blew it away. 
Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labour of your hands. Writing in Prophets and Kings, page 573, For over a year the temple was neglected and well-nigh forsaken. The people dwelt in their homes and strove to attain temporal prosperity, but their situation was deplorable. Work as they might, they did not prosper. The very elements of nature seemed to conspire against them. Because they had let the temple lie waste, the Lord sent upon their substance a wasting drought. God had bestowed upon them the fruits of field and garden, the corn and the wine and the oil, as a token of his favour. But because they had used these bountiful gifts so selfishly, the blessings were removed. Haggai confronted the people with their current situation. Futility of labour was one of the curses that resulted from them breaking God's covenant. Let's check that out in Leviticus chapter 26 and verses 16 to or 16 and 20. I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart, and you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. Until the people turned their attention to this priority, there would be no prosperity for them. Haggai possessed great zeal for the Lord's temple and wanted the people to complete its reconstruction right away. His ambition ran contrary to the complacency of those who did not care about the temple as much as they cared about their own comfort. While Haggai's great concern was for the temple, the people were interested more in their own houses. The Lord used Haggai to stir the people's hearts toward God's concern. God could not be honoured properly as long as his house sat in ruins. The temple in Jerusalem symbolised the divine presence among fallen humanity. It was a visible reminder to the whole world that the sovereign Lord is God of heaven and earth. How could the children of Israel witness to the true God when the very symbol of that God and the entire plan of salvation was in ruins? To see what it says in the Bible about that being the very symbol of God, first of all we go to John chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And also Matthew chapter 26 and verse 61. And said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. In many ways, their attitude toward the temple revealed a deeper spiritual problem, their loss of the sense of their divine mission as the remnant people of the Lord. Do you see any warning here for us?
Monday, June 3, God's Greatest Promise Question. Read Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. Notice the sense of unity of purpose here. Why was that unity so important in order for them to do that which they were called to do? Beginning at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shehiatil, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. This time the message instantly is obeyed by the leaders and the remnant people. They make preparations, gather materials, and resume work on the temple three weeks later. Within another week, they erect an altar and restore the sacrificial worship as described in Ezra 3. In less than five years, the temple is completed. While the kingdom of God cannot be identified with a material building, the book of Haggai is a reminder that God sometimes uses material things, such as buildings, for spiritual ends. If immediate compliance with the prophetic message is considered to be the measure of a prophet's success, then Haggai stands out as one of the most successful prophets. His preaching moved the people to action. Within the month, work on the temple resumed, with God's prophets assuring the people that the Lord would help them. Haggai chapter 1 verses 12 to 14 reports the response of the leaders and the people to Haggai's message. All obeyed the Lord because they recognized that he had sent Haggai. They feared the Lord, it said in verse 12, and showed this by worshipping him and giving him due attention. So Haggai now could deliver a new word from the Lord. I am with you, he said in verse 13. As soon as the people decided to obey the Lord, the messages of reproof were replaced by messages of encouragement. The assurance of God's presence gave them the promise of all other blessings. After all, the statement, I am with you, goes back to the covenantal promises that God made during the time of the patriarchs and Moses. Let's have a look at some of those in Genesis chapter 26 and verse 3. Dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. Sorry, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 12. And that reads, So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt... You shall serve God on this mountain. And finally, Numbers chapter 14 and verse 9. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So to finish the day, of course, the greatest manifestation of God being with us is Jesus. 
We read about that in three places we're going to look at just now. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. And Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Dwell on the idea that Jesus, the Creator, the Sustainer of the universe, lived among us. What does that tell us about our importance in a universe that is so big that we easily can see ourselves as insignificant nothings? Bring your answer to class on Sabbath. Tuesday, June 4. Do not fear. Haggai chapter 2 verses 1 to 5 presents an interesting development in the great revival taking place among God's people. Let's read that. In the seventh month, on the twenty-first of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory, and how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all the people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. About a month after the temple work began, God sent an encouraging word through Haggai to the remnant who had determined without adequate resources to rebuild God's house as directed by the prophets. Haggai asked the elders how the temple's current state compared to its appearance before the exile. Clearly, the present appearance did not match the former glory, so people may have been discouraged because they had no chance of duplicating the splendor of Solomon's temple that once stood in the same place. The prophet encouraged the people to keep working because God's Spirit was with them. He called on all members of the remnant community to be strong and to work hard because of the presence of God Almighty in their midst. Haggai's words to the leaders, Be strong, do not fear, sounds like the Lord's words to Joshua after the death of Moses. Let's read that in Joshua chapter 1, verses 5 to 9. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. 
Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The smaller and weaker were Israel's own resources, the greater the people's need for faith in God. The prophet declared that, in the end, the Lord would make the temple's latter glory greater than its former glory. That became true, however, only because one greater than the temple had come. We read about that in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 9, or verse 6, Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. The presence of the Spirit confirmed the continuity of God's kingdom in Israel. The Spirit of God, who had guided Moses and the elders, and who had sent forth the prophets with inspired messages, was in the midst of the remnant. The godly response of the leaders and the people testified to the spiritual reformation that had taken place. The Spirit was present in renewing them and in bringing them closer to their God. The presence of the Spirit also guaranteed an abundance of blessings. The prophet encouraged the community members to work out the divine promises to their fulfilments. Haggai ministered God's word to people who knew the harshness of life and the disappointment of unfulfilled hope. He turned their attention to God, who is faithful, and who counts on the new community to be responsible citizens of his kingdom, by persevering in doing good, and thus finding true meaning and purpose in their lives. To finish the day, a 35-year-old man, who had given up on belief in God, wrote a 1,900-page suicide note before killing himself. In his note he wrote, Every word, every thought, and every emotion comes back to one core problem. Life is meaningless. How does not only our belief in God, but our willingness to obey Him, give our life meaning? Wednesday, June 5. The Desire of All Nations. Question. Read Haggai, chapter 2, verses 6 to 9. What is being promised here, and how are we to understand its fulfillment? For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Through Haggai, God announced a great earth-shaking of nations on the day of the Lord when the temple will be filled with divine presence. The prophet called on his contemporaries to look beyond the present adversity and poverty 
to the future glory of God's kingdom toward which the temple pointed. The main reason for the splendor built into the temple of Jerusalem was to make it worthy of God's presence. Yet, according to this text, the Lord was willing to inhabit the less-than-glorious house and subsequently bring splendor to it. The people did not need to be overly concerned with the ways in which they could finance the temple's rebuilding. All treasures belong to God, who has promised to dwell in this new temple. The Lord himself was the provider of the temple's splendor. From Prophets and Kings, page 577, we read, As the people endeavoured to do their part and sought for a renewal of God's grace in heart and life, message after message was given them through Haggai and Zechariah, with assurances that their faith would be richly rewarded and that the word of God concerning the future glory of the temple whose walls they were rearing would not fail. In this very building would appear, in the fullness of time, the desire of all nations as the teacher and saviour of mankind. God promised that the splendor of the present temple would be greater than the glory of the former temple. It would be a different type of glory because this temple would be honored by the presence of Jesus in the flesh. Indeed, Christ's presence made the glory of the new temple greater than that of Solomon's temple. And so to finish, read Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 to 5. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected, and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Whatever the glory of the earthly temple we never must forget that it was only a shadow, a symbol of the plan of salvation. Think about what it means that, right now, Jesus is ministering in our behalf in the true tabernacle, the one made by God, not man. How can we learn to better appreciate the importance of the sanctuary message in the plan of salvation? Thursday, June 6, the Lord's Signet Ring. Haggai 2.23 reads, On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. The final message from the Lord to Haggai was given on the same day as the previous one in order to complement it. Let's look at verse 22 as well. 
I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, everyone by the sword of his brother. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord warned of a coming destruction of kingdoms and nations during the day of God's judgment. But on that same day, the prophet said, the servant of the Lord will accomplish God's appointed task of salvation. This we can best understand as being fulfilled ultimately and fully only at the second coming and during all that follows it. The nation's political leader is associated here with the glorious reign of Israel's King David, from whom he was a descendant. Zerubbabel was a grandson of King Jehoiakim and the legitimate heir to David's throne after the Babylonian exile. He served as governor of Judah under the Persian king Darius the Great and was a leading force behind the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Joshua was the high priest who also helped to rebuild the temple. The prophet said that Zerubbabel would be the Lord's signet ring, an object that provides evidence of royal authority and ownership. Like a king sealing legal documents with a ring, the Lord would impress the entire world through the work of his servant. Although Zerubbabel's key role in the rebuilding of the temple never should be underestimated, he did not fulfill all of the promises given to him by God through Haggai. The inspired gospel writers point to the person and ministry of Jesus Christ, son of both David and Zerubbabel, as the final fulfillment of all the messianic promises found in the Bible. So to finish today, read Luke 24, 13-27, focusing especially on Christ's words to the two men. What important message is he giving to them, and how do his words show us the importance of understanding Old Testament prophecy, and why it is so relevant for Christians even today? Luke twenty four thirteen to 27 Now behold, two of them were travelling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, 
O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken! Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Friday, June 7. From the book Prophets and Kings, page 573 and 574, Ellen White writes, But even this dark hour was not without hope for those whose trust was in God. The prophets Haggai and Zechariah were raised up to meet the crisis. In stirring testimonies, these appointed messages revealed to the people the cause of their troubles. The lack of temporal prosperity was the result of a neglect to put God's interests first, the prophets declared. Had the Israelites honoured God, had they shown him due respect and courtesy by making the building of his house their first work, they would have invited his presence and blessing. And from the great controversy by the same author, page 24, the second temple was not honoured with the cloud of Jehovah's glory, but with the living presence of one in whom dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily, who was God himself manifest in the flesh. The desire of all nations had indeed come to his temple when the man of Nazareth taught and healed in the sacred courts. In the presence of Christ, and in this only, did the second temple exceed the first in glory. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. In class, discuss your answer to Monday's question regarding the presence of Jesus on earth. Think through the implications of not just his presence, but his self-sacrifice for the sins of the world. Think through what these things mean about our value as individuals. Think through, too, just how different a view this presents of humanity in contrast to the atheistic evolutionary views so common in certain parts of the world. 2. Isaiah talks about the proud king of Babylon who at the height of his power made nations shake and the earth tremble, as expressed in Isaiah 14, verses 16 and 17. How different is that shaking from the Lord's intervention as described by Haggai in chapter 2 of his book? 3. Ancient Israelites often were disobedient to the messages proclaimed by God's prophets. Prepare to share with your class members some of the ways in which God's people today are resisting the messages that the Lord is sending to his people. And 4. The Bible is very clear. The ancient temple and its sacrificial system lost all value once and for all after the death of Jesus. What do Hebrews 8 and 9 tell about the things that Christ has done and is doing for us that the earthly sanctuary never could? That brings us to Inside Story, our mission story for this week. It's titled Standing Up for Jesus, Part 2. Bian's family refused to allow her to attend the Seventh-day Adventist Church. 
When she insisted, they tried to force her to live with her grandmother on a small island. Bien tried to hide her fear. She wanted to continue her schooling, but the island had no school. She refused to be separated from the people at the church, people who were praying for her, who encouraged her, and who had shown her what true love was. When her parents realized that Bien would resist their efforts, they took her clothes, her personal items, and her school books to her grandmother's house, leaving Bien with nothing. Bien returned to the pastor's house. She borrowed clothes from a friend so she could go to school, but then she realized that she didn't have her textbooks and couldn't attend without them. So she looked for work with someone in her church. She was sad that she couldn't complete her studies. Bien continued attending church and studying her Bible, and following evangelistic meetings, she asked to be baptized. Then a family learned about Bien's situation in visited her parents. They offered to take Bien to the Seventh-day Adventist Academy on the island of Palawan and pay for her studies. Imagine Bien's joy when she learned that her parents had agreed to let her go. Bien had never been so far from home, and the thought frightened her. But the pastor assured her that she would love studying at the Seventh-day Adventist school. She reminded herself that her prayer to continue her studies was being answered. Bravely, she set off for the school. The principal took Bien into her own home and provided work for her so she could earn money for her necessities. I am blessed to have so many people looking out for me, Bien said. It's so good to be back in school. The academy has become my refuge and my haven. When I finish high school, I want to help others who have problems just as I was helped. I want to defend what is right and stand for the truth. Palawan Adventist Academy, where BN studies, received part of a 13th Sabbath offering to help the school and expand its academic program. Let's continue to give faithfully to missions so that others in the Philippines and throughout the world can know that Jesus is not only their saviour, but their friend and brother as well. This week's reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Your reader has been Dr. Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful. Faithful.